Welcome, traders. Welcome to the SPACs attack. Let's get it started. How we doing, traders? Welcome and welcome to the SPACs attack. And if you're a SPAC fan out there, please, let's go ahead and start the show with a nice thumbs up. So how are we doing out there? Of course, guys, of course. Guess what, guys? I'm by myself today again. Guess what? But that doesn't matter. We don't shy away here. We got a jam-packed show for you guys. As you guys can see over my shoulder, I got these two legendary uh, interviews coming up later today, guys. Life cycle. And you guys can also check out the ticker. We're going to check out the ticker and the chart in a little bit here before we bring them on. But of course, like we always do, we're going to get into our headlines of the day today. So let's go ahead and let's take us back to those headlines. All right, guys. All right. First up, we got NVVE here. That's going to be new. Uh, highlighted in electrics, new transportation as a service model. The V2G hub model will utilize renewable energy and bi-directional charging to help grid resiliency. Um, they also launched successful V2G projects on five continents and is developing partnerships with utilities, automakers, and electric vehicle fleets worldwide. Another one next up would be VIH. VIH That actually had some partnership talk. Um, so back partnership with Cantaloupe to accept cryptocurrency as a participating loyalty point. So cryptocurrency play there in VIH there. So definitely check that out, guys. That's going to be cryptocurrency and making some moves. All right, let's go ahead and let's get into the next one. That's going to be desktop metals, guys. Desktop metals, DM, ticker DM. Desktop metals announced the launch of wood 3D printing tool for Rust. Founded in, nine, in 2019, the company specializes in 3D printing and interior design. The company's non-destructive printing methods have managed to largely fly under the radar with minimal press coverage until now. So definitely check it out, guys. One of the things that I'm focusing on is do we get the 3D run again? I've been focusing on DM, but also you could see kind of triple D and, and maybe even a, a different one start making a move. We'll definitely keep an eye on them as they've been near their support. And so we'll see if they can bounce off that and get start moving. Uh, next up, we got Genie. Genie, you guys know one of my favorites, acquiring Second Spectrum, a video analytics platform for $200 million. Second Spectrum works with the NF NBA, EPL, and MLS. The deal would include cash and stock, and investors in Second Spectrum, including the Clippers owner, Steve Ballmer, uh, turns video into data and could give Genius new technology capabilities and new clients. So as you guys see, Genius's growth has already been looking great. And they're getting more deals, looking into some new technology here that could turn that video into that data and they could go ahead and, and monetize that data. Um, one of the things that they did do is it's augmented reality experiences from basketball and soccer. So definitely look out to see what Genie can do with, um, with Second Spectrum. All right, guys, let's keep going. Next up, next up, MP Earnings Thursday, After Hours Quarter 1. Uh, let's go ahead and take a look. Revenues grew here, uh, 189% here, year over year at 60 million. The net income increased to 737% year over year to 16.1 million. And adjusted EBITDA grew 537% year over year. And th this is going to be interesting. I mean, a little bit later, we're going to be going into battery recycling, but we're talking about a lithium player here. And as you can see, the revenue is definitely growing year over year. So it's something to definitely keep an eye out. Um, one of the things that is uh, was stated was stage two optimization plan is on track and we're making steady progress on our stage three vision. So definitely keep your eyes on, on MP today. We'll see if it gets a bounce. Right now it's looking like it's taking a little bit of a hit, but we'll see if it gets that bounce. Next up, DKNG quarter one earnings today. Uh, first quarter revenue of $312 million for DraftKings and was up 175% year over year um, from the pro forma. One of the things that was stated was that DraftKings had a 1.5 million monthly unique payers up to 114% year over year in the first quarter. The average revenue per monthly user payer was $61, which was up 41% in the increase. And in the first quarter, 
DraftKings launched sports bettings and iGaming in Michigan and launched sports betting also in Virginia. So definitely keep your eyes out on the sports betting market. We also saw some great numbers from Penn. So let's see when these can catch a bid. You know, uh, we're seeing DraftKings back down towards 50. Of course, it would definitely look attractive to me uh, near that $40 price point. So we'll see if it comes back down towards that level and we can try to get a bottoming on the sports market. Um, Next up, NGA. NGA will begin trading as LEV. and, and, And that begins today, guys. That's from Lion Electric. It's official, guys. So LEV will begin today. Uh, SPACs to watch FSRV on Wayfair support, bringing catapult public. So definitely keep your eyes on that one. Uh, Movers PCT hammered on short report from Hindenburg, calling it the latest zero revenue SPAC charade uh, sponsored by the worst of Wall Street. So definitely, definitely some bad bad uh, publicity there for PCT. So keep your eyes on that. Uh, For our merger vote calendar, guys, of course, keep your eyes. We just talked about uh, a couple of these, but coming up on 510, you got lots. You got also on that same date, you got UWMC, you got SPCE. And then a day after you're going to have HYLN, Helion. And then going into the next week, 513 FOA and of course, of course, CLOV, the clove uh, is going to be coming out on the 17th, guys. So that's going to do it for our headlines of the day. As you guys can see, I'm not as good as Chrisopedia, but I'm definitely, definitely going to stick in there and, and stick in the battle with you guys today. So if you guys could do me a favor, hit the share button, let everybody know PDIC is coming up next and I want to get a lot of people in here hit the like let's get over 150 likes by the time we get this interview started and like always guys we're going to keep going up because at the end of the day we're going to bring you all the information that you need to be the informed trader all right let's go ahead and let's get into our interview of the day first up I'm going to bring AJ Kochard the president and CEO of Lifecycle also co-founder um, and also Tim Johnson, co-founder and executive chairman of Lifecycle. Let's go ahead and bring them on here. How are we doing, guys? Welcome to the show. Hey, Mitch. Thanks for having us. Doing well. well. Thanks for having us on. You guys have been behind me since the beginning, so I, 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 I feel like you guys are already with me, but let's go ahead and let's get into our interview today. Of course, of course, uh, first up, we got the co- uh, co-founder and president. H- how are we doing, Ajad? Um, one of the things that I wanted to get into, of course, the first thing is first, we always ask the question, why a SPAC deal? It's, it's one of the most important questions. So why did you guys go uh, public via SPAC? Yeah, let me start and then Tim should, should add on. I mean, look, we're a commercial business, uh, lithium-ion battery recycler, you know, think the smallest battery you can to mobile phones all the way up to electric vehicles have been five years in the making. And uh, we're going to get into the technology, I'm sure, but, uh, you know, it's a two-phase model. We're a non-thermal recycler, and Tim and I both were engineers. We come from a technical background and the lithium industry. So, you know, just to the question, uh, and we're going to get through a lot more detail, but, you know, we have two parts to our business model, spoke and hub. That's how we take in any type of battery, go to intermediate product, and then to refine battery-grade material. So we already have two spokes up and running commercial today. The hub part of what we do, which is the real production of battery grade lithium nickel cobalt, we've been developing that for our whole history essentially as a company. But as the industry has continued to scale rapidly, there's a lot more batteries now that need to be recycled, even from sources like manufacturing scrap, which I'm sure we're gonna talk about. So when you make a battery, it's not perfect. It generates a level of production waste or scrap. So we need to continue to scale. And last year with our board, we were looking at a variety of ways to see this plan through and particularly the hub facility also that we're building in Rochester. So we looked at a variety of options. We had a bunch of options available to the company, but we wanted an efficient method to fully fund our base case business plan. So that's what led us down the the SPAC route. We made that decision, went methodically uh, with our advisor city who we selected, you know, from a broader range um, and you know, basically look to find the right partner. And that's the key thing here. We really wanted to find the right partner. I mean, there's a transaction uh, steps, which you know, we want certainty of how we would move through that. But also importantly, this is just the top of the first inning of this industry, right? So we wanted a partner 
that would join the board, shared the vision, uh, and really helping us gear up here for additional scale and additional growth. And I don't know if, Tim, if you want to add on to that from your perspective. Yeah, no, that's that's spot on, RJ. The, the key thing for us was capital is great. Capital helps us grow the business, helps us achieve the targets of what we need to deliver for our clients and, and customers. But having that experienced management team from the Peridot side join the board really adds a lot of value and depth to our board capacity and us as an organization as we continue to grow the business. All right. So one thing that I'm going to get into here, and you know, I really see it as you guys state here, the three core themes of your business. What are these themes and how has the pandemic helped or hurt this trend? And I'll go first to Aja and then I'll go to Tim. Yeah, sounds good, Mitch. Yeah. So look, I think it's interesting. Our business is at the core of these three key megatrends, right? And usually a company might sit in one regard. So the three are to be clear, you know, see at the top electric vehicle, true demand revolution. And even more broadly, I would say even just applications of lithium batteries, right? Think about you in your everyday life around you now, you could probably count five to 10 in your house, things that are powered by lithium batteries, just even beyond electric vehicles. So that's one key driver as well. We're a circular economy business. So we're ESG driven. That's more than just the acronyms. We have to believe in that and actually lead with that. And also there's been this huge focus now, and Tim and I have been in this industry for a long time. So it's always been prevalent in our minds, but I think the world is waking up to the bottlenecks that will exist around critical materials, right? Lithium, nickel, cobalt. These are finite materials that need to be in a very specific form to go into a battery. And we sit at the center of all of that. And back to the question, Mitch, about you know the pandemic, I think it's been interesting for our business. I would say pandemic aside, our world is definitely in a time and we see our key customers accelerating aggressively. And that is a big difference. Five years ago, when Tim and I started this business, we would get told, you know, hey guys, what are you doing? You know, aren't electric vehicles 10 years away and hence aren't uh, EV batteries need to be recycled even farther. But one, we knew it takes time to develop these things. Uh, and, you know, coming from that background, but two, it, it misses the point, what I was mentioning briefly around things like manufacturing scrap. And the world today, there are 200 mega factories plus to make batteries. When we started the business, that number was just over 10. So despite the pandemic, that continues to accelerate. And all those facilities have a level of manufacturing rejects or waste that needs to be recycled before the tsunami of end of life batteries. So back to the question, we just continue to grow at an accelerating pace and the transaction platform is helpful because it ensures that we can see through our obligations to our customers. Yeah, that's exactly right, RJ. And just one other thing just to add on to that is that keep in mind, we built two new plants uh, during 2020 when the world was receding back we were actually growing. And that was driven by the industry pull. We didn't really get an opportunity to pull back at all. We had to grow with our customers. And what we're seeing is they continue to drag us and pull us into this space and and grow at a really rapid pace. Yeah, so one of the things that is mentioned in the investor presentation is that you guys will be getting into profitability. And so one of the things that I did see is that expected cash flow positive and net capital expenditures by 2024. How will the team at Lifecycle really accomplish this? And I'll, I'll go first to you, AJ. Maybe I'll kick it over to Tim. Tim, do you want to go? All right, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> no worries, guys. So, so how are we getting I mean, that positive? <laughs> we, get, we get positive through the combination of what we developed as a technology, but also how our approach to the business plan works. As RJ was alluding to at the start, we have two parts to our process. We have our spoke operations, which is where we receive lithium ion batteries and battery scrap material from the industry, end of life batteries, and we process them through to intermediate materials. That process in itself is a very valuable piece to the key to how you extract value out of lithium ion batteries. These facilities are designed to be zero liquid discharge, which means we generate no wastewater We have no thermal processing, so we have no meaningful air emissions, but they're also built in this modular fashion. In fact, we have a facility in Canada that starting next month, that's all they'll be doing is building these facilities 
because they're designed to be rolled out to be positioned close to where batteries are located. Trying to build the number of assets that we've set out to do, which is 20 spokes and four hubs over the next five years, would not be possible if we had to reinvent the wheel every single time that we need to put a new facility in. And so just like a cookie cutter process, we have that ability to roll those out very, very efficiently, low capital, easy way to deploy and scale quickly. The other part of it is on the hub side of it. The hub really unlocks that value. So now we have a multitude of spokes around the world in North America and elsewhere, whereby they'll be producing this black mass material, which is an intermediate material. That's a very boring word in terms of black mass. What it is is the anode and cathode materials in the battery. That's where all your critical materials, nickel, cobalt, lithium, they all reside within that black mass material. We then have the ability to then process that material back into those key materials that go back into the battery industry. Uh, and that's a key unlocking step because traditionally, batteries were being treated as a waste. A lot of that material is being burnt off, recoveries were low, costs were high. So it was a relatively inefficient way to get those materials back into the supply chain. With our technology, we've developed this bespoke process that efficiently converts it back into useful materials. And so with that process, that's how we can really unlock the value that gets us to the cash flow positive uh, position in, uh, towards 2024. All right. Now, of course, when we, when we talk about recycling batteries, this is not new technology. But one thing that I do see is that you guys do have a competitive advantage here. I see the 95% recycling efficiency rate, but what other features or results show that Lifecycle is the leader in this industry? Yeah, maybe I'll start, RJ, but feel free to yeah. jump in. The, the key difference between you know, where the industry was, when we came in five years ago, batteries are being treated as waste, which just basically means like most hazardous materials, they would end up in a furnace somewhere where they're burning off plastics and electrolytes and generating a whole lot of waste and emissions. But that's also a pretty inefficient process. It consumes a lot of energy. It's expensive, a whole range of different things. Well, with RJ and I's background in, in battery technology and the production of chemicals, we looked at this and we said, well, there's actually a better way that we can do this. We can mechanically break down the batteries and generate that material, that intermediate black mass material, without burning off the electrolytes and the plastics and everything else. We can return more material to the economy, which allows us to push towards that 95% recycling efficiency rate. But the other benefit was actually on the economic side. We always had a vision that we are not just an ESG company. Yes, that is a very important part of who we are, but we're also a business. And as part of that business, our goal is to extract as much value as possible from that lithium ion battery. And with that spoken hub technology, that allows us to recover the most amount of material, generates the most amount of revenue, and because we're doing it in a way that is fit for purpose for the material that we're processing, i.e. lithium-ion batteries, then we're able to do it at the lowest possible cost. So you combine all those things and it gives us a real structural advantage that's not just economically advantaged, but now it's also environmentally sustainably, sustainably advantaged uh, against the traditional uh, industry. Yeah, just add on there. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say just, just from the highest level, like our moat, so... What Tim just described is really the technology, the economics of that. And that's taken time to develop and it's not easy and it's patented and protected. And that's a key part of our moat, right? So that's one pillar, if you will. The second pillar is commercial, right? So it's not like somebody can just set up, I mean, you could try uh, and say, okay, hey, we're recycling batteries, send us your batteries. The way that this works is we have commercial, this is the second part of the moat, the in and the out. So alongside our development the past years, obviously we've been commercial for a period of time here, we've brought the customers along with us. So these are the largest electric vehicle manufacturers, the largest battery manufacturers, groups that aggregate and sort these types of batteries like consumer electronics, right? So as we were developing, we had to go through qualification with those groups. What does that mean? What we would do is initially, a lot of these companies need to do compliance checks. They need to make sure that we're of a certain standard. It's a minimum bar, but a high bar. Then we've had to go through traditionally, this is a couple of years ago, 
what we call an evaluation program. So we would take, say, one pack from electric vehicle and recycle it through our process to then demonstrate that, okay, we say we can do X, Y, Z, but you know, let's show we can do what we say we do. So that was a, you know, both a business development, but also an important qualification step. Then we would go to first-time commercial agreements. You're still following me. And then it would culminate in a master services agreement, which is where we are today. And that MSA is an umbrella agreement where we serve these companies to take their batteries and recycle those materials. And why do I make that point? It's sticky, right? So these are three to five year plus contracts. They have a variety of terms and it, it varies. Sometimes we're getting paid. Sometimes if the material is a lot of value, we might pay. But that's really, really important alongside our ability to make the end product, the lithium, the nickel, the cobalt, and more. And we've also qualified that. And if folks saw the, the investor presentation, we have a partner there named Traxxas. Traxxas is the largest independent nickel cobalt trader globally, part owned by Carlisle. So that's really key, right? You can have great technology and patents and everything, but if you don't also have the ability to monetize that with the in and the out, you need all these pillars and that's part of our moat, really important aspect. Of course, it sounds like you guys also take in uh, one of our core values here at Benzinga, which is we say what we do and do what we say. So mm -hmm. that's definitely yeah. a part of our core values and we live by it. Um, now, one of the things that I have a question on is, does a rise in commodity price affect your business? So I'll, I'll go to Tim. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we, have contracted offtake for our downstream products, but we have exposure to the commodity price, uh, which is a benefit for us. We've taken a very conservative forecast. When you look at our uh, presentation, our 8K, you'll see that we take uh, the lower of the industry benchmarks, which would be the New York consensus uh, benchmark. If you compare that to today's prices, prices are significantly higher than that. And so from our perspective, we see it as a significant upside potential as the demand for these materials grow, price pressure is created because let's face it, there's limited new supply that's coming online. It's new supply that takes a long time to materialize. Uh, and as a result, we benefit from that, uh, that discrepancy between the supply and demand and that upward pressure on pricing. All right. So what I want to get into now, and I, and I pulled up the slide here, is so now, you know, and it states here, 75% of today's cobalt is, is sourced in Congo, where non-negible uh, portion of it is a supply that's tied to child labor, you know, and you guys have a great quote here by the great, you know, Elon Musk here asking for efficiency and obviously environmentally friendly nickel mining at high volume. And the Tesla will hand out giant contracts for a long period of time if someone could actually do this in an efficient and environmentally sensitive way how can lifecycle really step in here and help this process yeah maybe i'll start and then aj jump in and it comes back to two parts you know our technology allows us to produce these metals cheaper than what you can mine them for which is a really interesting dynamic a lot of people think of recycling as being a higher cost way of producing these important materials, but in reality, it's actually a lower cost way to produce these materials. When we complete our hub in, in Rochester, we will be the largest domestic producer of nickel in the United States. So it's a interesting uh, perspective in terms of how do you domesticate supply of these critical materials, even if you're limited in natural resources. And so as we sort of look at that model going forward, we have that economic advantage, we have that domestic supply advantage, and now we also have that environmental advantage, the transparency that's given by knowing where the materials are coming from, the fact that they're not being mined is, is a significant advantage, and then being able to extract that value and return it back to the industry. Yeah, I mean, in our world today, this is like just, you know, big picture, right? Where we see these curves, right? I think everyone knows where the world's going. And this is like happening, happening, right? Like when Tim and I were, first starting out of this industry, there was a lot of questions around electric vehicles, right? I think it was still unclear if this would happen, but when we left our past careers in 2016 to you know, launch Lifecycle, we knew it was happening, but we were on this kind of wave. And we can tell you firmly now from our customers and what's happening and the way they're growing, this is happening. So, so that means now that those demand curves that you see, that's unfolding. Now, the latent tension here 
is you can't just snap your fingers and turn on lithium supply for mining. And, and as you pointed out, Mitch, there's other really sticky and unfortunate topics from ESG perspective with some of these materials like, like cobalt. So big picture, right? We're, we need all these materials. We need to get them in the clean way out of natural resources. But then when it's above ground, we can't lose it. Right? That becomes the urban mine. That becomes the source of where we need to continue to recapture those materials and bring it back into new batteries. And this is the really interesting place we find ourselves in the world today. Every country, every region is trying to get a domestic supply chain. And how are you going to get a domestic supply chain if you can't change the geology in your country? It is what it is. So what's the best next resource that you can tap into? It's the above ground resource. And, and that's where we see this going in, in the world. So it becomes partly a geopolitical issue. But, and I think the other last thing I want to highlight, and this is the other thing we've noticed in the industry, just really big picture. When we started the company, there would be a lot of skepticism around, you see these materials on the screen there, like recycled nickel and lithium. And people say, as Tim said, oh, well, it must be lower quality or, you know, oh, it must be higher price or something. And, you know, what we've had to do is develop, prove, commercialize, and actually do this. And I'd say it's flipped now. In the world, there's actually a huge desire, as Tim was highlighting, for transparent, recycled, better ESG profile metals and materials. So we find ourselves in between these, these forces in a great way, but it's, it's really accelerating. I'd say 2020, 2021 has been a very fast paced time in our industry and will continue in the near term. Well, I appreciate that you guys are taking it in, in, in a kind of substantial approach and, and really approaching it in that man, matter and keeping it in mind that this could potentially affect your company. Um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about here is going into the next. And, you know, one of the things that I've seen is that a lot of investors have been really all on EV, EV vehicles. Right. And so a lot of it is thinking about the manufacturing scrap and auto OEMs here. And so you can see the big names there. But what I wanted to talk about is also that it's not only in kind of these autos, right? There's different areas and different supply of batteries that you guys are going to be targeting for this recycling. Can you explain me the other kind of areas? And of course, you can touch on auto. We'll go first to Tim. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we look at it, we're really a a industry or a company that is a little bit analogous to the application where benefited by the growth on the EV side. But the reality is, is that lithium ion batteries have been in our lives since the early 90s. And as we've all gone more and more mobile, we've moved more and more towards lithium ion batteries. And as RJ said at the start of the presentation, we all are surrounded by them. And so when we look at the breakdown of material that we get, we were able to grow initially heavily with consumer materials or small format batteries, laptop batteries, cell phone batteries, those materials. But now we're benefiting from that growth on the EV side. What the EV industry is doing is pushing through that manufacturing scrap. It's pushing through end of life material, warranty material. But there's also been another really interesting dynamic that's happened in the last decade, and that is on energy storage. One of the things that I'm sure many of the people watching today will be familiar with is that the world has moved and continues to move towards more and more sustainable energy, green energy. And a lot of these sources like solar and wind are intermediate producers of, of power. And so they typically, in a lot of places, use some form of energy storage to su supplement when the sun's not shining and the wind's not blowing, that power generation. And what we're seeing now and have seen over the last number of years is because of the advancements in the lithium ion battery industry, those energy storage systems are largely moving towards lithium ion battery based. And of course, like any asset that has to be retooled periodically, there's a need to then process all those materials that were there being used for a period of time. And that's where life cycle comes into it. So it's not just one sector that we're exposed to, we're really you know, right across the full spectrum of, of application of what's happening in our world today. Yeah, I'm always like, the way, by the way, I'm like a software note, like Tim and I together, the team here is basically, and we work together for a long time. So, so Tim and his kind of side of the business that he helps to lead is really the operations and technical side. And we have a great CTO and a very strong technical team. 
and I'm really plugged in on the commercial side. So like I was going to say there, you know, Tim is often under operations travel buddy is, as I help to do these things <laughs> sometimes stationary, but, but I, what I was going to say was if you were to sit in their operations and just look at the things that are coming on the conveyor belt, like batteries are in everything, everything, think lawnmowers, think household appliances. I mean, Tim, I don't know what the craziest thing we've seen, but I mean, spotted <laughs> jet batteries, satellite yeah. batteries, like, you know, everything and everything in between. Right. So it, it is true. It is. And it's one of the interesting things, and that's one of the you know, key aspects of our technology was we had to be ambivalent to all these different types of speed. We wanted to make sure that it didn't matter if it was a cell phone battery or an EV battery or a battery that had been to space. It didn't matter. We were able to process all those batteries through our process. And, uh, but they are everywhere. Everywhere we look, there's, there's lithium-ion batteries today. Definitely, definitely. I think this is perfect segue into my next question here about the regional presence and global footprint and how you guys are going to get towards your five-year rollout. Um, I would love to hear how we're going to get there, but also how the regional spokes actually help the, the battery transport, the cost here. Mm -hmm. Explain this. I, I, who wants to go first? So I'll start here and then Ajay, you jump in. on, on I'll yeah, explain how, how it works and then yeah. Ajay, you talk about the business side. And so from the benefit of a spoke is that what we want to be able to do is minimize the distance that we have to transport a battery to somewhere that we can process it safely and turn it into a high value intermediate material. That's what the spoke does. And because when you think about it, the valuable materials in a battery only make up a certain portion of a battery, but also batteries have their own hazards associated with transportation. We've all seen some of the issues within the industry over the last decade so minimizing that distance that we have to transport the batteries significantly reduces the cost. You can only do that if you have a process, like life cycles process, that meets those key environmental components that we were talking about, i.e. no thermal processing. Nobody wants a smelter or a kiln or something that's burning off and generating hazardous air emission close to where they live. They, they, just nobody wants that. And so in order to get the batteries close and get the processing close to where those batteries are, you have to have a process that is able to be deployed close to where population centers are. Because ultimately that's where batteries are. And so that's how we're able to, to get the battery cost down, to get it into our plant. Once we have that intermediate material, these intermediate materials, they're commoditized. They are in what we call super sacks. These are one-ton bags that sit on a pallet, super easy to transport high value intermediate materials. We sell the byproducts, the, the metallic foils, low density plastics into the local market. And then we take that high value black mass material that we were talking about earlier. And then we move it to a centralized facility because that's a much easier product to move. It's much higher value. We reduce a lot of weight and we benefit from the economies of scale associated with having a large central processing facility to convert that black mass back into battery chemicals. And so, you know, how are we going to grow and roll out across the world? Well, Arjun, why don't you sort of talk about our, our growth yeah. plan across that? Mitch, if you want to pull up the, the map, I can speak to that. So, so, so that's, that's the predication of how we scale. So how do we get to scale? The spoken hub model is super key to that. And then the technology then that is the key differentiator. Okay, great. So you see this map here. So, so where we are right now, North America, we have the two spokes, right? We have one in Kingston, Ontario, Canada. We have a second in Rochester, New York. And we made the announcement about the third in Arizona. So the three top spokes you see there are, are spoken for and clear. And the hub you see there below, that's the one that's also going to be in Rochester. By the way, why Rochester? Former Eastman, or it is Eastman Business Park. It's a former Kodak Business Park. Great chemical infrastructure. Very good for that centralized op operation. We did a very rigorous site selection before we went there. So, so that's how we're seeing through the plan in North America. Now, ex-North America, we have a three-pronged strategy. First, we are growing in some cases organically because we have some vehicle OEM customers, battery manufacturer customers that are global. And they say, hey, Lifecycle, you're helping us in North America or here. Can you help us over in region B? That's organic. The second way that we are growing, and this is going to be the main mode for a lot of these jurisdictions, is regional joint ventures. So as Tim was talking about, you know, batteries are everywhere. The spoke model is great to deploy to get close to where batteries are. And so we're, our, you know, we're working with partners. We have a team on the ground between Hong Kong, Korea, Japan, China, 
We have boots on the ground, you know, team in Europe as well. And we're really developing with partners that have the need, right? So we want to partner with groups that have the need for batteries to be recycled. So these could be battery manufacturing companies. They could be waste management companies. They could be auto recycling companies, right? There's various participants in the supply chain. And we can deliver our technology, the spoke technology, for example. And what we want, frankly, is then ultimately the black mass, right? Because we're trying to deploy this network to really get access to that material. And then lastly, uh, judiciously, and this will be case by case opportunistic and you know, lower level, but sometimes we see opportunities and this transaction will give us that platform where, hey, there's a regional player, they have people, supply, permits, but they lack the technology because maybe they're, they're a more regional business. And so that's an opportunity potentially for some buy side M&A. And that's a third way that we're going to be rolling out these facilities. So what I'll say here is stay tuned as we do our quarterly updates once we're public. This will be a key point that we'll keep updating against. And what you'll see is definition around each of these facilities saying, hey, where are we going? Who are we doing it with? When is it going to be as part of the five-year plan? And that's some of the catalysts to come. Yeah, so what I want to get into now is, of course, we've been seeing heightened battery regulation and infrastructure spending. And I know we've seen a, a Biden's administration making a $2 trillion investment in infrastructure and clean energy. How will LifeCycle lead the way, not only in maybe California here, but also in the whole United States? Yeah, I mean, Ajay, I'll let you go. Yeah, I mean, big plan, obviously, now going through the House. Uh, part of that 174 billion towards EVs. I think a lot of the viewers must have seen that. Within that, there's 12.5 billion allocated or proposed towards battery manufacturing. So there's been, I will say, the refreshing thing here has been the sense of urgency. I think a lot of us in industry have gotten a little worried uh, about the lack of movement in the US uh, and North America more broadly around battery supply chain and EVs. And so that urgency, it's, it's woken up. And I think it's great to see a really aggressive plan behind that. What's the role that we can play? Multifold. First, you're seeing now probably more battery manufacturing capacity that folks might notice in North America. Even some years ago, wasn't quite clear, but it's now starting to really shape up better, I would say. It's still a ways to go, but shaping up better. So all that battery manufacturing comes with scrap, and I'll leave it at that. That's basically, you know, a source of you know, feed for us and just stay tuned on that front. The second thing that really then how do we play into that is also the critical materials. As Tim said, our hub facility in Rochester, New York, just this is, you know, very momentous from a, a critical material supply standpoint, biggest producer of cobalt. So there's other cobalt deposits in the U.S. that are, you know, mining deposits, but they're not yet producing. So this will be the only producing source of a battery grade cobalt product in a large scale. Second on the lithium and the nickel, top one or two for each. And that's from a recycled source. So now we come back to this whole supply chain policy uh, focus on, on this whole um, ecosystem. This is a very critical part, right? You can't build the supply chain if you don't have the fundamental materials that you need to make this all happen. So it's very central here. Recycling is really coming up on the radar, which is great to see from a policy standpoint. But we, we have to keep pushing because we're just getting started here in many ways. Definitely, definitely. You know, one of the things that we've been seeing is to push to carbon neutral. And I think mm -hmm. that's going to definitely help uh, bring that recycling growth. Um, what, what can you guys tell me? Do you guys see this trend kicking off a little bit faster than what's been predicted? You know, some have been saying into 2050 for the United States. I'm starting to see kind of a faster trend pace. Um, I can put it out there. I, I think we could be at least 10 years faster than that. What do you guys think on your side? Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's one of the things that continues to impress us with this industry is the pace. I feel like every time we kind of set the bar on our expectations on what's going to happen in the industry, the industry pushes past it. And, and that ability to supply materials, I'll give you a couple of key points. For example, for every ton of batteries that we recycle, we offset five tons of CO2 emissions. For every ton of lithium-ion batteries we process, we offset something like 97 tons of water. So it's a massive opportunity to support green electrification of our transport industry, of our power systems, 
and support everyday life by ensuring that at the same time we're doing the best thing by the environment. And of course, that goes hand in hand, and this is the benefit with life cycle. It is truly synergistic with the ability to generate an economic return, which is a rare, sometimes rare aspect of, of this industry. Yeah, clean capitalism, right? I think some people might think that, oh, we get this question actually a lot. People say, oh, well, if there's thermal processing and it's dirtier and they burn stuff up a stack, it must be cheaper it, or better up you know, economically. Mm-hmm. It actually isn't. Mm-hmm. That's the really interesting thing about it. That's why we've gone down this path is when you take that path just commercially, economically, like you're burning off, say, graphite and plastics, electrolyte, and then they often lose lithium into a solid waste stream. So it, you don't get as much recoverable revenue. The costs are higher. So the unit EBITDA, I'm just talking purely financial now, the unit EBITDA is not as great. So via what we're doing, you don't burn things off, you get more recoverable revenue at a lower cost, fit for purpose process, and hence it's more sustainable from an economic standpoint. But to Tim's point, they're both hand in hand. And I think sometimes people think sometimes, oh, the dirtier process must be cheaper. No, actually in this case, they're together. And that's the unique opportunity here. Uh, and I think it bodes well for the true long-term sustainability of the business. Definitely, guys. So one of the things, and you guys have mentioned it before, is the Rochester hub, right? And I love how you guys have really uh, gotten significant support here and also local support. You guys are supporting jobs here, which is something that we definitely need in the country right now. And then also what I like to focus on is how this is really going to help us with that U.S. uh, lithium. Uh, You know, it's really in high demand can you guys explain to us what's going on really at this Rochester hub and how you guys are going to help us here in the United States? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is going to be the hub for North America, whereby we're going to bring black mass material, that intermediate material from batteries from all over North America, uh, and even the ability to, to import uh, materials as required. And from that, we're going to generate and be a significant generator of those key battery materials to go back into the supply chain. Rochester is fantastic. I mean, it's well set up from an infrastructure perspective. We've got things like road and rail and and power, steam, the things that we really need to do the work. But the other part of it is that we also set up with great people. We already have an existing operation in Rochester. We've generated approximately 30 full-time jobs during the pandemic just in Rochester in the lead up to this. I mean, this is a great opportunity for, for the region but just not only just the region, it is a great opportunity for the country uh, as a whole. Definitely. So let's get into the last kind of question here, and then I'll have one more um, just to kind of put it out there for all the investors. But of course, you know, one of the things that we've been seeing is we've been seeing SPACs really start being focused on more of this growth and margin profile. So that's why I'm going to go ahead and bring into the financials here. And what I want to focus on is really that margin at 48%. I mean, this really stands out to me because if you could see on this, on this, uh, chart right here. You can also see lithium producers here at 29%. Tell me how you guys are able to really achieve this margin and at such a high rate. Yeah, I'll start to maybe Tim can add on. And there's actually a really common question. People say, well, how, how do you get to that sort of margin? Well, let me explain it. So, okay. So what we're getting in in a battery, what's my battery? This is the combination of a very complicated supply chain, refined material. And it's very valuable, right? So the actual recoverable revenue per ton of batteries weighted average is over $5,000 a ton, roughly speaking. So that becomes our kind of, in, in our business model, we're shifting this industry to be focused on the material recovery, right? So the material recovery, sale the material and go back to the economy. So because we've on the front end, you think about it, okay, very rich material coming in, low cost process, fit for purpose, we get up the materials, we go to the same grade of an output product, the same as a mine, Right. So you get to that point and we've optimized costs because we've specifically developed technology for this. So that's what enables, you know, just in terms of the cost profile and the driver, the low cost input. Then on the outside, okay, when we make a lithium carbonate or cobalt sulfate or nickel sulfate, well, the recycling industry doesn't determine the price. The price of those materials is determined by the mining industry because that's the bulk of the supply in the market today and for the next five, 10 years. And the price that is dictated therein is that of the lowest cost, or the highest cost or marginal producer on the cost curve, right? 
And that cost structure is totally different than ours, right? They're digging up material from the ground, refining it, right? And lastly, when you compare it to the lithium converter margins, we don't just have lithium, we have a portfolio of products, right? Everything that's in the battery, cobalt, nickel are also key drivers. So that's it, right? We're, we're taking a high grade material, going back to things that are equivalent to mining, selling at the price dictated by that, and with fit for purpose technology to low cost that drives a high margin. And we've been super conservative. We may were a little different in that way from I don't know, others that are in the space, but we're conservative forecasters. We like to put out numbers that, you know, as you said, do what we're saying we're going to do is really a mantra here in a value at Lifecycle. Uh, and that's the lens that we apply to the forecasting and our business model as a whole. All right, guys. So the last question I'm going to have for you, and then I have one, just one from the chat today. I, I love to go to one at least from the chat. Um, so my last question is for the all the investors out there for Lifecycle. What's next and where should they be focusing on to to kind of stay with your company? Yeah, maybe I can I can start on Tim should add on. Look, so in terms of upcoming catalysts, I would I would break it into to three. The first is commercial. So we continue to do work with battery supply. We have obviously publicized the Traxxas partnership. So just keep an eye out for that. The second is on the facility development. So we put up the announcement around Arizona. There's more to come around other facilities in that regard. And the third is on the international side. So this is now in the coming quarters. You know, we have a whole bunch of things going on that will convert, you know, as they do. And that's something to, to keep an update against that map that we showed where those folks going to be, where the hub's going to be, with who, how. So those are the three things I'd point to. And I don't know, Tim, if you want to add on to that as well. Yeah, no, I think the other thing is that uh, the, the transaction's very much on track, that uh, we're working aggressively towards the completion of uh, all the softer sides of, of getting that done and uh, and really looking forward to to having the, the Peridot team on board fully. So I, I think that's, uh, that's the other key thing to, to keep an eye out over the coming weeks. Yeah, that's the nearest term. Exactly. Yeah, of course, of course, out there, they all want the date. But we'll, we'll get into the question here. John Doe asking, what do they do with the battery housing after recycling the rare earths? So the housing for the battery, what happens after that? Maybe Tim can uh, break this down. Yeah, not a problem. So the housing itself is mostly metallic, usually aluminum or steel. There's some copper bus bars associated with that. So we actually, because we're focusing specifically on the battery materials, so we actually partner with traditional uh, aluminum, steel, copper recycling companies that then process that material through the traditional scrap metal uh, waste funds. The, the value that Lifecycle is really adding is really around the critical materials within the battery. The housing goes off for, for secondary recycling. All right. Well, you guys heard it here first, guys. So this is Lifecycle definitely going public with the SPAC merger. Ticker is PDAC. Thank you guys for joining me. Ajay Kochar, the president, co-founder and CEO of Lifecycle, and also Tim Johnson. Thank you guys. I'll get you guys back. I need to bring my Kirsopedia back, really the brain to this show. So we'll definitely have you back on our show soon. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having us, Mitch. It's a pleasure. Looking forward to keep everyone updated. Pleasure. Thank you, guys. All right, guys. As you guys heard it first, again, on SPAC's attack, give me a thumbs up if you appreciated me rolling through there, trying to do the best I could on that interview and get you guys the information because that's what it's all about, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's not for me to go ahead and do this information. It's for you guys out there to do the best and get the most informed interview. Let me know in the chat what you guys thought and, and, and what you think, Spencer. I mean, you're you're back there. Yeah. I, yeah, I was listening the whole time. I was in the background. I thought it was great. And I, I've come to, to realize something, uh, you know, in the, in the past couple of days or, or, or week. And like, I the, let me tell you why I love these interviews. First of all, that was a long interview. Uh, like that, they gave us a lot of time. So we appreciate that. Um, this is why I love these long interviews, especially on this show. OK, you you take a stock like PDAC. OK, it's ten dollars. So you're basically back to square one. From from a stock standpoint, from an investing standpoint, you're back to square one in the stock. It's ten dollars, and a lot of them are back to square one, right? A lot of these specs. So now, it's a question of okay, I, we can all kind of agree that there's not a lot of premium baked in. So now it's a question of the fundamentals. Now it's a question of for, forget story. Story is stories out of favor. They're all out of favor. 
Forget that. Now it's a question of the business, the execution, the leadership, and who's going to succeed. And and we don't know that. But the only the only thing we can do in the meantime is try to learn. And one of the ways you learn is by hearing exactly from hearing directly from from the leadership team, from the CEO, from the president, from the, from the founders, right? So, the, and and that's where we're at right now in SPACs is is it's everybody's sort of back to square one, and it's time to fig, try to figure out who the winners are going to be. And and yeah, as the chat was saying, there's a lot of competition, right? These guys aren't alone, and it's a question of who's going to be the winner, and we don't know that, but now is the time. To play to to place your now is the time to place your bets, right? The time the time to place your bets was not was not three months ago, right? It was not when every spac went up no matter what. It's now. Yeah, it was the time to do that. Mm-hmm. So it's like going to the it's like going like like we love uh, our, our Joel Conan on pre market prep like going to the horse race, right? You 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 get all the horses, you get their track meets, you get their their background, you get the races that they've been in. But you don't know exactly how they're going to perform in this race, this race being the stock market here, guys. So one of the things that I definitely say is pay attention to kind of the growth of each company and how they actually meet the demands or the revenue that's stating on their investor presentation. See the earnings, see how everything's going. And one of the things that we're going to do is I always say diversify, diversify, diversify. You can't just pick one winner in each industry and expect yourself to be at a, let's say, 100% accuracy. So what I would say definitely is start learning how, how, do I can, how can I diversify in a long-term investment portfolio towards SPACs? I think this is definitely going to give you a beneficial factor. Over the time, there will be some winners, but there will also be some losers like Spencer's mentioning. I think we all know this now. And the important part is staying and giving yourself a diverse approach so that you don't get caught into just one stock. And the next thing you know, you become the bag holder and your only play. And that's that's what I definitely want to keep people uh, safe out there. But from the interview, guys, from the interview, one of the things that I could definitely say is that I do like how they have a global approach and trying to help each region out with the needs that they need. This is important because at the end of the day, this is not just a United States need or demand. This is a global need. And I think as they attack that global need, that's that's what can give them even some drivers that are outside of the United States to really keep this stock moving. Yeah. And again, it's going to come down to execution. A lot of these stocks uh, are frankly in most specs, almost all of them, I would say, are in sexy industries with easy to tell growth stories, demographic plays, global technological shifts, but it's going to come down to execution. And, and, and I, I like, I like how SPAC broker just put it right. It's, it's, they're more valuable now with the SPACs trading at their, their NAV at their $10, you know, bogey price. They're more valuable now than, than ever. And so now is the time. And, 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 you know, we're going to keep doing this mm-hmm. because these kind of interviews, uh, you know, are, are kind of are the closest thing that we're going to get uh, to to knowing a lot of things, and uh, and mm-hmm. you know, especially with with, with these uh, specs that aren't even complete yet. I I don't even know if 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 we have access to balance sheets and financial statements right right now for a company like this, right? So so uh, you know, these interviews are super valuable. Obviously, what they said about being global. Is, uh, it, it sounds great. It all sounds great. Everything sounds great. That that's the catch, right? Everything sounds great. Investor presentations are, are designed to make you bullish, right? So of course it sounds good, but the, you gotta like take a second and think. Okay, well, like it sounds good. What's the bear case? What's the downside? What has to? What would have to happen for them to not succeed? And those are the things that, that I'm asking right now because, like, I'm I'm interested in specs. I, I said that I, I would buy uh, IPOE. I'm waiting. I'm waiting on that one. Um, I, I would buy other specs. You just got to take the time to 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 do some research right now. And they're if anything, they're more appealing now that they're all basically back to par. 
Yeah. And so uh, in the chat was mentioned, uh, uh, Mark Rees uh, talking about how hesitating to add more into mergers, uh, not complete. And that's OK. That's OK. It's all right to wait to the de-spacking and then look to see if you can kind of bottom fish there. I have no problem with that approach. The biggest thing is start doing the research, the in-depth research to pick your companies on yeah. which ones you want to add to that portfolio. It's not necessarily, like I said, just load the boat in one play. This is not yeah. what SPACs were invent. That's not what they were invented for. And that's not what the asset class is for guys. The asset class is to give an opportunity for us retail traders to go ahead and look for an investment approach. And yeah. that's what I think is the important part. Yeah. And thinking about it like this, like, like SPACs, they're, they're, they're not their own asset class. They're just stock. They're just stocks. They're just stocks. Mm-hmm. So if, if your portfolio is 95% stocks in the first place, um, that, okay, that, what kind of stocks, right? SPACs are pretty much all growth companies. So you own all growth stocks, then you're, you're going to go up and down a lot. That's that's how it goes. Do you own you know, other areas? Do you own broad-based ETF? Do you own value stocks? I mean, SPACs, SPACs are growth, and, and you all know that. I'm preaching to the choir here. I, I, at least I think I am. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, a, a portfolio, and I think you, you, you've all learned this. We've all learned this. A portfolio of, of just SPACs is... Um, not a portfolio that you should probably be looking at all every day because no, it's, it's, gonna it's not be- that's not the intention, right? Yeah. Um, so so I, I I'm interested in specs here way more now than I was at any point in the last year, only yeah. because like and Mitch has been saying this too. Right? A lot of people have gotten shaken out, um, and now is the time. To, now is the time to strike if you can pick a winner. And of course, it's easier said than done. Yeah, I, I I don't I'm not confident in my abilities to do that at all, right? But this is when that happens, so I'm trying. I agree, I agree. I mean, I, I'm not going to say that I'm 100% going to get everything right, but yeah. this is what I like to do, guys. And if you guys have ever seen me on pre market prep or any other show that I do, it's always about story. And then where did I learn this from? Shout out to the man himself, Triple D, Dennis Dick. He really expanded the strategy to another level for me. This is something I used to always look for, but I didn't know how to necessarily attack it. Now, one of the things that I do, guys, is I I combined it into a three-variable approach, right? I talk about this on Money Mitch, but let's talk about it here on SPACs Attack. So it's always the story, the fundamentals, and the technicals. Mm -hmm. And, And it's all three that need to match up for you to really think that this is a, a, a something I need to jump into, not just something like, cause sometimes the story can sound great. Like let's say, um, and, and not to mention it. I mean, I took a swing trade on it today, but CCIV, the story hey sounds amazing, right? The story is yeah, the, all, as hype as it gets, they all sound, as hype as it gets. Yeah. They all sound, you know what I mean? But, but when you look at the fundamentals, what do you see there? What do you see in CCIV is that, we, we need some cars to really come out, right? I mean, if we, if we don't get those sales to hit the bottom line, then definitely, definitely we're not going to see the growth that we want to see. And then as you go into the next one, the technicals, the technicals really matter. When the stock was ripping, that might not be the time to jump into a stock because the technicals are not showing you there's some bottom support, some some kind of level that you're going off of. So I think this is important for all SPACs now. Now that you're getting them down to those levels, now that you see those bottoming, now you can approach it. And also, one of the things that we've been noticing is, and we, we've, we've given you a list of the calendar dates, look how these companies do their first reporting. That's when you're going to really start getting some more in-depth look into what? The fundamentals. And then you can match fundamentals, technicals, and story. This is so important, guys. Yeah. I'm telling you, if you learn to do all three, I think you're just going to give yourself a way uh, further chance, a higher probability for you to get into the green. And this is the important part. I'm not 100% right on this, but one of the things I want to do is try to help you guys find a way to not just go off of one variable, but three. Yeah. And a lot of times, maybe maybe the, the, the solution is, the answer is to wait. So just wait, right? I mean, think about DraftKings, right? Patience. How long has DraftKings been, been public? We just this morning finally have our first year-over-year comparison of DraftKings as a public company, right? Q1 of this year to Q1 of last year. We have statements that we can compare. For the first time. That's as of this morning. and They've been, they've been public for, for over a year, right? I mean, uh, it takes time. It takes time for these things to 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 shake out to mature as public companies, and so 
a lot of times these are going to be several year stories, if not longer. So patience and uh, and uh, now is the time to strike because now is the time where uh, like 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 I consider right now to be like two like two thousand two for like tech stocks is what I think right now is. 2002 for tech stocks for SPACs, I mean, right? Because they're all hammered. Well, not all of them. Most of them are hammered, crushed, destroyed. Okay. Same thing it was in 2002. Amazon crushed, Microsoft crushed. Some of them, like Amazon, came back with a vengeance. Others, like Intel, never got back there, right? So there are going to be winners. They're going to be losers. We don't know which, but now is the time to strike, in my view. Um, all right. I think it's time for Power Hour. Yeah, Power Hour is going to be coming on. I think they have a interview today. Dude, I, go I, ahead and check I, on that for you. Know what the, yeah, they have a few. I never know what these guys. They have All kids. right, but before we get on out of here and, and before you give them that, I just wanted to state the biggest movers of the day. Clever Leaves, Cloves, uh, have CM Life Sciences, TPGY, Genie up there. Uh, definitely Romeo showing up. Playboy is, is bouncing back, man. I know that you, you you were surprised on that Playboy action, but definitely bouncing back there. So definitely keep your eyes on that one. IPOE, which is on Spencer's radar, definitely watch that one. Uh, RSI, like mentioned in the chat, uh, is going to be having earnings next week. So keep your eyes on RSI. It's down there towards 1218. I'm going to keep watching a bunch of these specs and keep letting you guys know what's moving but definitely guys stick with us as we always do hit the like button looks like we didn't break a hundred today come on guys i'm giving you guys this gold giving you this interview and really i mean i could have canceled guys i could have canceled and been like nah the community isn't worth it but you guys are worth it out there because i see the support out there support us hit the like you guys already know power hour coming up next if you like some hype and you like the stocks that move stick with the power hour we'll see you guys there they're gonna we'll have take crazy, you guys over there. They're gonna have and, a crazy show. And before before I do that, just because it's been a long day, let me make sure I do the redirect on. Well, it's good, Mitch. It's good. It's good. All right, all right. Just making sure. I, I love Power Hour. Later, guys. It's set. <laughs>